Welcome to Backseat Directing, where we talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts, Andrew and Aaron, and today we are doing an episode on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Three, two, one, action. All right, Andrew, last night we watched Wakanda Forever, uh, the sequel to Black Panther. It's a much-anticipated movie. Uh, we're very curious to see how they went forth with presenting everything. What did you think of the movie, kind of overall? What did you think? Overall, I thought that the movie was good. Um, the... I have some complaints about the movie that I think I need some more time probably to sit with it because generally just as a person I'm really like overly critical when I first walk out of a movie theater. Very so, analytical. Yeah. yeah. So because I try to watch a movie through that lens because to me that's just like what's fun and I know to some people that's like oh you're taking the fun out of the movie but to me like from my perspective that's what's fun is to like watch it with a really analytical eye think what did the director want me to think here what emotion did the actor want to elicit here and think whether it was effective or not so like that's just what I enjoy doing and sometimes it means I might be more critical or find the film less good in my eyes but it also means that I like just had a better time at the theater. So that's what I'm going to do when I go watch a movie. And I was kind of critical of some things in this movie that uh, might not be like a popular opinion. It's going to be like a hard movie to critique because there's so much emotionality behind it. Um, but overall, I thought it was a good movie. It stands on like the the top half of Marvel for sure. Um, Ryan Coogler is a really incredible director and we'll get into more specifics. But what did you think of the movie in general? I thought overall it was enjoyable. I think maybe at some points it was a little bit slow. Um, it was a longer movie going for two hours and 41 minutes. And it felt like it was two hours and 41 minutes. It did. But it had a lot of strong aspects to it um, that I'm excited to talk to you about. I'm really glad we ended up going to the more comfortable theater because when we saw it together, we were debating different theaters, but it is two hours and 40 something minutes. It's, you want to be in Yeah, we had the seats. nice recliner yeah. seats. <laughs> I almost lost my wallet because of those recliner seats. <laughs> yeah. And Andrew uh, brought in McDonald's, so he was snacking the whole time. And it was so loud, and I kept having to turn around. I'm on another level when it comes to sneaking food into the movie theater. I remember for, I don't remember what movie it was, but one year I brought in like leftovers from Thanksgiving. I brought in some turkey. You did have a pretty small bag, so you yeah. you hit it very well. I, like, I brought in a water bottle, and it was just in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. You can clearly see that I have a water bottle. I, I didn't tell Aaron, and then it, when the movie was starting, I, I was like, hey. And he looked over, and I was like, Shh. <laughs> yeah. I brought in like a little snack mix, like trailers, and that's all I had. And you had like a full McDonald's meal back there. I ate my whole McDonald's meal in like two minutes, and then I was hungry. But do you want to keep this episode spoiler free just until we go over the. We'll set a hard line where we'll go over who was in front of the camera, who was behind the camera. Um, we'll do your summary, and then we'll go over the. We'll, from there, we'll go to the plot and spoil everything. That sounds good. So starting off with the movie summary, a year has gone by after King T'Challa's passed to an unknown illness. 
While Wakanda mourns the loss of their king, the U.S. has a scientist who developed a machine that can detect vibranium. They end up finding some at the bottom of the ocean. Little did they know they found Talakan, an underwater civilization similar to Wakanda. Talakan is a small, secretive, yet powerful kingdom, and they do not want to be discovered. Namor, the leader of Talakan, sets out to find and kill the scientist who made the machine that detects vibranium. All right. So that doesn't spoil well anything about the movie, just the general concept. Um, but let's find out who made this movie. So the director, again, Ryan Coogler, is returning uh, since he directed the original Black Panther film. And with such a huge success, how could you not have him return? Um, I was saying just last night that I think he's one of the most promising, if you can call him, up-and-coming directors after done doing you know, these huge films. Um, but he's one of the most promising directors that we have. I think he's good job. You might have a career. <laughs> you might have a career in this field. But what I'm really saying is, I think that he's going to be one of the greats. You know, up there with all time people like Spielberg, Scorsese. I think he definitely has that potential, and he's showing us everything that he has in his tool bag. So, if you don't know his name, he directed both Black Panther movies. He directed Creed, and originally, what I think gave him the confidence of studios to do these things, he directed. Fruitvale Station, which is a smaller, more independent and artistic film that's really great if you have the chance to watch it. It's really emotional, and I believe it's where he met uh, Michael B. Jordan as well, who is in most of his other films at this point, the majority <laughs> of his filmography. But I think on IMDb, if I'm remembering correctly, Coogler only has like nine director credits or some relatively low number of credits. So he has yeah, a lot I'm, more I'm trying to tank. click on his name right now, but our <laughs> Wi-Fi isn't loading the page. Well, listen, so. guys, we've had... So we live in Florida. If you've watched the show, we mentioned it before. And we had a tropical storm yesterday. So we've had some issues with connectivity. And we almost thought we weren't going to get to see this movie because of the storm. So I was, yeah. I was calling theaters on Wednesday night. They were like, call back. We'll know more later. I called back. To, <laughs> we have a job to do. <laughs> we have a Marvel movie to see. You guys have to get this to get... In Florida... A tropical storm is like I don't know a little bit above like uh, a bad hair day like it's it's yeah. not that much but you know just to it's be just safe it's just a regular rainstorm with more wind <laughs> we just saw the trees move a little bit more yeah. but yeah so we almost thought we weren't going to see it but we made sure that we, we didn't saw know it. what time we were going or what theater we were going to until probably like three hours before <laughs> and normally we have it planned out like normally a week or two in advance yeah we had to sit apart for this one because yeah because we waited too long to get our tickets yeah we were, I mean we were still close yeah, um, we were across the aisle from yeah. each other but, but yeah, that's, it's nice to see a theater full because I haven't seen a theater that full in a while. You yeah. generally don't anymore except for, for Marvel movies. But I really want these like theaters to fill up because that's, I mean, it's not necessarily the movie industry as a whole, but I don't want movies to go just to streaming. Like the theater experience is so much fun. I love I, it. I found, I know we're kind of going on tangent here, but I kind of found that when movies go out on streaming, I'm less likely to watch them, even if I want to watch them. Like, I agree. Enola Holmes just dropped. Uh, the second one and I really want to see that film I liked the first one a lot it was a fun film that I watched with my wife I wanted to watch it with her and we're just busy and we just haven't gotten around to it and it's been out for a week and it's like man I've been looking forward to this movie it's almost just too easy to access that you don't make plans to it right exactly. or, you, or you forget about it but I also want to see Enola Holmes and haven't watched it yet um, I think that the theater experience is a big part of like the emotionality of the movie experience mm -hmm. and I wish that we could keep that alive um, for all kinds of movies not just Marvel movies so buy tickets to your local theater it's a fun date night it's a fun chance to hang out with friends um, these movie stocks are not doing 
fantastic nowadays. <laughs> um, I know because <laughs> I'm losing money in them. <laughs> um, but anyway, so Ryan Coogler directs, and then he also writes the movie along with Joe Robert Cole. Um, you know, they, they both have some good credits. Um, it's, I, I think that the direction for the movie is a lot stronger for the writing, and we can get into that more specifics. Um, Ryan Coogler also wrote Fruitvale you Station. You think it so is has, strong in the writing? I think it's strong in the directing. Yes. Weaker in the writing side. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what, something I was talking about last night. But um, then in cinematography, which I think we both thought was really strong in this movie, um, Autumn Derald Arkapau, a name I have not heard before. Um, but I'm always excited to learn new names. Um, incredible cinematography in this movie. And when I looked at the the history of credits for Autumn, uh, it was a, an almost entirely short shorts, short films, um, music videos, and I think there was one movie in there called Teen Spirit. But interesting to see this person get the jump into this huge, big budget movie, and I thought do an incredible job with because I went into it not knowing who the cinematographer is and was very impressed with the movie visually. Um, so I think that's this is a huge credit to this individual, and they'll continue to do more great things. Hopefully, the editing is something that we'll have gripes with later. So I wanted to find out who did the editing. Something we don't always talk about. The editor's chair uh, sat three people: Kelly Dixon, um, who has worked on some of the Marvel shows like Loki, um, did work on Breaking Bad for some of my favorite episodes, including the episodes Full Measures and Half Measures, which I think are two of the best episodes in the show. Um, for, she also did direct, uh, editing for Better Call Saul, and then Jennifer Lame, who did directing for Marriage Story, and will be directing Oppenheimer, or will, sorry, I keep saying directing, who did editing for Marriage Story, and will be doing editing for Oppenheimer, which is Chris Nolan's upcoming film with Killian Murphy, and then finally Michael P. Scheuer, who, Scheuer? Scheuer? Who did editing for Creed and Fruitvale Station, which I'm sure is where Michael met um, Ryan Coogler and got involved and in how you yeah. got tied into this movie. Uh, next, I'm going to go into the cast, but I want to ask you a question. Uh, who were you most impressed with in the cast for this movie? Um, I think Shuri did a really good job. She had a lot of emotional moments. Um, what's her her name? Ramonda, the mother? or No, Shuri. Um, Letitia Wright. Yes. She had a lot of emotional moments, and in this like rare scenario of the movie, a lot of those emotions are probably real, and you could really feel the the impact in her acting. Um, you can feel her sadness, her rage, her anger um, throughout the movie, and I also liked Namor too. Um, I think maybe in the end of the movie. They could have done a little bit more for him, but uh, before that, like building the story and stuff, I thought he looked great. Um, I thought his movement was really cool. The physics behind how they animated him and stuff was really cool. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, the cast did fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like, at no point was I like, man, I really wish this was person was not on the screen. You know, it's, it's a fantastic cast of at this point seasoned professionals. That so we'll start off with Letitia Wright as Shuri we talked about, um, and then L Lupita Nyong'o is Nakia, uh, who was the love interest of Black Panther in the first film. Uh, Danae Guerrera is Okoye. Uh, 
She's incredible. Winston Duke is Mbaku. Angela Bassett as Queen Ramonda. Tanak Huerta as Namor, who you just talked about. And Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams or Ironheart. Uh, so those are the prominent cast members that are throughout this film. Uh, we also have Martin Freeman in this film uh, playing his role as the, as Okoye would call him, the colonizer. Um, but this, the acting in this movie I think is really great. If I were to pick who I was probably most impressed with, obviously Shuri. Um, I, also, I think we have to be impressed with her. Because, yeah. I mean, in the first Black Panther, she's very much so a side character. And, uh, and like now she's being molded into the, the leading role, you know, of this giant production. And it's, she has like big shoes to fill too, you know? So there's a lot of pressure around her and her performance and on screen, it seemed like she handled it well. Absolutely. The movie kind of rides on her shoulders and can't really, can't really succeed without her doing a great job. And I think that she did, she, she did that. Uh, then we, it's too early for us to look at box office numbers because we watched the movie on its Thursday night release. Correct. But I don't think we've mentioned the budget yet. And the budget was $250 million, which is seemingly more and more close to the average for these superhero yeah. movies, which is wild because that's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, what did Black Adam just have as their listed budget? 180, 200 million? So this is a little bit more than that. Yeah, let me, I can pull that up right here. So Black Adam's budget was 200 million. Yeah, so 50 million more dollars. Um, I think, like you said, the number's getting higher and higher. But Black Panther's obviously a huge focus for the studio right now. And obviously, we'll, let's, let's switch into our... In comparison, Iron Man who launched the MCU was $140 million. So we've come up almost $110 million. Right. And 250 kind of seems to me like Part where Marvel is sitting at for making these movies. Do you want to switch into our spoiler territory now? Yes, sir. So All if right. you haven't seen Black Panther Wakanda Forever, come back to this video. Go ahead and like us, subscribe, save it for later. But if you have seen it, or if you don't care about spoilers, <laughs> not stick be around. Me. This is when we get to hear Andrew's awful opinions <laughs> about how critical he is about movies. Absolutely couldn't be me. I couldn't have listened to the spoilers. But, um, not me either. <laughs> the, so the movie starts out, like Aaron mentioned, with the unknown illness that is uh, killing T'Challa, our, our Black Panther. And Sherry's trying to save him by recreating the heart-shaped herb. And ultimately, we find out that T'Challa has passed away, um, which is very emotional. And you can't talk about this movie with talking about the real-life events that, unfortunately, we lost Chadwick Boseman in real life. Um, he obviously passed away way too soon. It is incredibly, incredibly depressing. Um, he will be greatly missed. And he was one of the most talented actors that we've ever seen. And that is not something that people say, you know, just in hindsight, he's very, very much appreciated when he was still alive. His, he was only 43. Yeah, way far, far too young. And from from all appearances, just such an incredible guy, such, you know, a talented, kind person. Uh, and it's, it is sad to see him go. But the, the good thing about being a movie star is that you live on through your performances and through the effects that you have on others. Um, not just through his incredible performances like playing Jackie Robinson in the movie 42 or 
you know, all these other movies that he's been in, 21 Bridges, but through the Black Panther, through being a superhero to little kids and for being the first African-American superhero that young children of color can look up to and believe that they can do these things that not only that they can be an actor or achieve their dreams or have success in the world, but believe that they can be a hero and that impact will always be part of his legacy. And it's a really beautiful thing that um, he can live on through these films and that a movie like Wakanda forever can pay homage to him. It's just so emotional in the movie when you, in the, in the early parts of the movie after he's passed away. So moving forward with the plot, we'll see um, them, his funeral, so emotional, um, and then just beautiful set pieces throughout. Goosebumps just yeah. <laughs> throughout the movie, beautiful uh, costuming and wardrobe. I mean, the to start with the funeral, uh, it's just so aesthetic and visually pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, it all adds to the emotionality and seeing him a mural of him painted on the wall, um, kind of mirroring the mural of Iron Man in Spider-Man No Way Home, um, really adds to that feeling of loss of. The, the incredible person and the incredible character um, of T'Challa. Yeah, and they, when they do their Marvel like, credit scene in the oh, beginning. Oh my gosh. Uh, and they like typically flip through the different moments and movies and stuff, you know, and you get to see all the Marvel characters. Well, for the, this movie, all of it was Chadwick Boseman. And they didn't play a song. I know. That's what I was going to say. Is I was going to say, I hope I'm remembering that correctly. And I um, it, Yeah, I don't think they played a song. It, it, it was, was silent. silent. And the whole theater was silent. Right. Because no, nobody, nobody's cheering. It's, it was kind of like a, um, a tacit or unasked moment, moment of silence, silence. Yeah. Um, in the theater in remembrance. And I imagine theaters all across the U.S. And, and the world, wherever this movie's opening, have that same experience. It's very emotional. Yeah, definitely. Even for all of us that never, obviously have never met Chadwick Boseman or have any interaction with him in any way, he touched so many lives, like I said, through these performances. Um, and it's, it's great that they took that into account when they made the movie because it's clearly on the screen it was no small task for them and it clearly was something that the the filmmakers and the cast felt very emotional about very connected to him and it's felt throughout which is fantastic yes it, it's hard to watch at some points you know because yeah. you're you're remembering who he was and what he brought to the table and all that stuff and i think they did a, a good job at paying their respects overall throughout the movie um i mean throughout throughout the rest of the the plot it the the loss is felt but i do one of my critiques for the movie is that i feel like they move away from the loss of t'challa and start to focus a lot on queen ramonda which uh, queen ramonda is a a great character very emotional uh, fabulously portrayed by angela bassett um I, I know that they can't dwell on it forever, but I do wish there was some more focus on T'Challa because it feels like it's very strongly felt at the end and very strongly felt at the beginning, um, but not in as middle, much in the middle. It's kind of a separate thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of get what you're saying. Um, they definitely brought it back at a few different points, you know, where Shuri was like angry and, and wants revenge and stuff. Um, but it it did seem kind of like the middle of the movie was slightly disconnected from T'Challa, which I don't know how they would necessarily do that. 
differently, you know? Yeah, I see so like that's the difficult part about my backseat directing segment for this episode is even with my some of my critiques for the movie, I can't tell them how to have done it better, which I think is kind of a uh, mistake if you're going to critique something. I think you should be able to say right. how to do it better. Yeah, um, it's it's difficult, you know, because Chadwick passed away, you know. A Marvel movie is already difficult to start when you have pre-established characters that predate the film and have all this lore and history and comics and fans who want you to do justice to them compound that by a hundred with the situation they're in for this movie i think both of us maybe more so you were really hoping that somehow some way chadwick filmed a scene that was gonna appear in this movie and it didn't end up happening and it wasn't in the movie and i think that might have left a little bit of disappointment for for you especially yeah. i know you were a little bit sad that you didn't get to see that so uh, which you know is which, incredibly selfish but right. the, um the so the but my, it's it's reasonable i mean it's a black panther movie you know like it's it's not wrong to want to see the original black panther in this movie in some capacity yeah but I, it just wasn't able to happen and that's kind of where we're maybe at loss of words for how to change that middle of the movie that feels disconnected from Chichala. Cause like, I don't know how we would do it differently. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to get, I, I want to explain more of the plot before I explain. I have yeah. some ideas for things that I would do differently, but let's, let's go along with the plot. We'll do it relatively quickly. Um, so for those because at this point, presume anybody listening probably has seen the movie, so we'll get along with it relatively quickly. So from the beginning of the movie, after he's passed away, we have these political issues with uh, the rest of the world where uh, Queen Ramonda believes the rest of the world is seeing him as weak and having lost their king. And so the world is trying to make a move on getting access to vibranium, which as far as this point in the plot is believed to only be in Wakanda, that the comet only struck there. They're the only ones with access to it. They have the mound. So she reassures them in this incredible scene in uh, the courtroom, if you want to say, or that meeting room, that uh, Wakanda has not lost its strength and that they are granting mercy to the country, which I believe was France, that was mm -hmm. trying to conduct a covert operation to steal their vibranium. They march their soldiers in there right in front of them. And they say, Our, the next attempt will not be met with such mercy. So this is kind of building the tension for the rest of the movie between Wakanda and the rest of the world. That, that burning feeling that Shuri mentions having inside of wanting to burn the rest of the world. Uh, all this kind of tying together here for when we meet Namor. Uh, Namor comes to speak with Queen Ramonda and Shuri. And uh, he tells them that he wants Wakanda's help in protecting their both of their mutual interests and protecting their people, protecting their resources and protecting vibranium. And um, Queen Ramonda is not one to be told what to do. She's a very strong character um, and she sends him away, but they are, end up competing over trying to get access to the character who has developed this technology that can, de that can detect and find vibranium who turns out to be Riri Williams or Ironheart. Um, the people of Wakanda being Shuri and Okoye go and get her. They're attacked by Namor's people, um, the people of Talakan, and they take both Shuri and Ironheart 
and they take them to Telecon. Um, so this movie is two hours and 40 minutes long, like we said, so there's a lot that I could go into in depth on the plot. But basically, uh, what this all leads to is Telecon is like a version, is, is like Atlantis, and the comics Namor is from Atlantis. Um, and he shows Shuri this, this beautiful uh, city underwater of Telecon and invites her to join him, basically stand at his side and burn the world, um, which is... Shuri has a lot of anger at this point in the movie, which is a theme throughout, is her dealing with her grief and going through these stages of loss and depression and anger and regret and all these feelings. Um, but she ultimately seems like is going to refuse him and they get saved by Nakia. Nakia saves Shuri and Ironheart. Um, and ultimately, Namor comes back to retaliate for the people that were killed and for the rejection he's felt from Wakanda and at least to culminating this big fight in the final act of the movie. So that is the general description of the movie. There's so, so much more that we could go into. Is there anything you want to touch on? Um, no, not necessarily on the actual story, but maybe some of the pacing of how slow it was. Let's, so points. we're going to go into our backseat directing portion where we sit in the director's chair and talk about what we would keep, what we would change, and what we think was good and bad about the movie. And I'm going to pass the mic over to Aaron. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, when I was in the theater, I felt like I was watching a two-hour and 40-something minute movie. Um, there was one point where I looked at my phone and I was like, okay. We're an hour or so in, hour and a half in, you know, hopefully it kind of picks up the pace a little bit. And I think what was missing from the pace was that there was a lot of dialogue back and forth, a lot of scene switches from country to country, um, from under the water to above the sea. You know, there was a lot yeah. of moving around, but not a lot of uh, breaks you know, to where your mind can just sit and enjoy like the action or something like that, you know, and I'm not saying that the movie has to be filled with like nonstop action. That's meaningless. I'm not saying that I'm saying that it might have would have benefited from a few extra scenes where there was some sort of tension or action to kind of take your brain away from having to focus so much on like, who's who, what's going yeah. on, where am I at? So, and having meaningful action too that still like moves the story you know yeah in that vein what i the the scene where i felt that and something that i would keep about the movie is kind of the thriller slash horror elements that they approached the villains with initially the first scene on the boat where they appear out of the water just these heads poking in the darkness like the ocean is actually an incredibly scary place just the depths oh, and darkness that for the, sure the pressure and the cold the I things even, that we can't see i think i looked over at my sister and i was like the ocean's so scary <laughs> <laughs> but them, and them all just leaping at, and start starting with the siren call seeing yes. those people kind of just like Bird box or something Very, like, like walking out to the Caribbean yeah. vibes, wasn't it? It was actually pretty terrifying, and I would, I that's something I definitely keep about the movie. Immediately when the people of the sea came on screen, I looked over at you and I was trying to get your attention, but I didn't want to like disrupt yeah. the theater, you know, since yeah. you were across the aisle. But I was, immediately I was like, already it's way cooler than Aquaman, like <laughs> so much cooler than that movie. The way that they approached the underwater scenes, the way that they moved underwater, everything about it was way cooler than Aquaman. 
Um, we've talked about it before. We don't know how Aquaman made a billion dollars. <laughs> um, but the, the just the way the physics of how they move through the water and then how Namor like was flying. Like he would come out of the water like he's swimming and then he would like take steps to get out of the water as if he's like pushing against his wings on his ankles and then he would start flying more similar to like we would see Superman or something fly. Very cool small details of movement, uh, which, you know, I really enjoy movement and uh, displays of force and stuff and so cool. Um, and it was interesting to see all of the sailors on the U.S. ship kind of walking off to the edge and just jumping overboard. It was such a calm, nondescript look on their face. It really yeah. was kind of chilling. So uh, that's a moment in the movie where you said... The like, way the movie looks, fantastic. Phenomenal, right? from like, start to finish. Like, we, like yes. you already said, costume design, um, set design. like Cinematography. It, yeah, the, the lighting. It all looks fantastic. You're right. At some points in the water, it was a little dark, which... I still think looked better than Aquaman being like extremely bright at the bottom of the ocean. You know, like it didn't really feel like they were in the water. And when they moved through the water, they just kind of flew like <laughs> Superman would through yeah. the air. But these characters would actually like swim through the water. I actually thought it was really smart to make it dark because it's for one, it's realistic. It's the bottom of the ocean. Light does not reach as far down there. It also makes it easier to hide special effects and kind of trick your brain into thinking that it might look better than it does or spend less money on it. And I think that um, some of the critiques with this movie that'll probably naturally happen are that it's very lowly lit at points um, and that it feels long, which I don't think are the end of the world because those are the same critiques that I would give to the Batman, which I think is far and away the best superhero movie of 2022. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like when they're out by the water right before we see Namir or whatever. Uh, it is really dark. Uh, maybe it's after that point. It's sometime at some point they're sitting by the fire, uh, Shuri and their mm -hmm. queen. And it's very dark and it seems like the only light is the fire behind them. And then a little bit of moonlight kind of coming from the front. And I remember distinctly thinking like, wow, this is really dark. Yeah. Uh, and that part wasn't even underwater. But all of that is intentional, you know, like they're not, they're not just sitting there like, oh, we have all these lights, yeah. you know. It's a feeling of realism because right. if, and it's also a feeling of like what Wakanda represents, I think the things being natural because when you're in actual nature it is dark when they're when you're sitting in nature in a fire nothing is illuminating out there there's no technology because i think what wakanda represents which is what a lot of people resonate with it is like an intense connection to the world the earth the culture and like history with combined with like modern technology like wakanda never seems to let go of their cultural roots despite progressing to be the most technologically advanced country in the world and i think that's represented also in things like what we saw for the first time here them playing the kind of the water drums mm -hmm. um, to open up the portal is like a direct connection of like musicality culture and history with far beyond modern technology um, and i think that that's really cool that they try to connect that in the filmmaking aspects along with like the cultural representation of this uh, fictional society. Yeah, I agree. If you guys have been listening this far, we appreciate you. Thank you. We hope that you will like this video, share it with your friends. 
and go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Um, we're also encouraging our listeners to go ahead and give us a five-star rating on Spotify. Oh yeah, and since this episode is going to be coming out soon, we're going to be doing a comic book giveaway as well. Yeah, uh, so be sure to check that out. That'll be on our next few videos coming out. So you'll yeah. have quite a bit of opportunity to win one of the comic books uh, that Andrew brought for yeah. us. Check out our episode on Monday for details on that. Boom, boom. <laughs> and back to the episode. All right. So then other backseat directing comments. I have some... Uh, things that I want to look at and critique. I'll see what you think about them. Um, so one thing that I thought was strange in the film was essentially it seemed like the idea that Shuri would kill Namor would corrupt her. Um, and it seemed like they were kind of begging the question, show him who you are. Um, they're like, what, what would your mother want to do? Um, I, did they ask what T'Challa would want to do? Cause that's kind of where I feel like the disconnect was cause T'Challa killed Killmonger. You know, he didn't find some kind of mercy on him. He felt that he had to kill him or he would be killed or um, he would bring, you know, destruction onto the world like it was his plan. So do you feel like there was kind of a, dis, a, a thematic disconnect there because the previous movie, they just killed the villain? Yeah, the whole flashback or not flashback, but when they went to the... What do they call it? The when, astral plane? Yeah. And Killmonger's there. Um, it was interesting. I don't remember them really talking much about T'Challa at all. First of all, talking about the, the movie looking good. That was such a cool scene. That the way the fire erupted with her rage. Like, the the metaphor on top of just how good it looked. Like, that was fantastic. And yeah. seeing Michael B. Jordan's always great. I mean, obviously, I have been really hoping that... I that this movie would contain a scene on the astral plane where she could speak to her brother one more time, especially with the movie opening um, with, the, with the loss and not getting to see Chadwick Boseman on screen at all. It's not something that I, I think is a critique for the film because there's... Yeah, it's not really a fair critique. It's, it's, a, it's something that is a parallel and mirror to real-life loss. I have people in my life that I wish that I had got the chance to say goodbye to, and we didn't get the chance to say goodbye to him on screen. That's just kind of the way that real life takes people from us. So I think that that loss is, is frustrating and felt on screen for the same reasons that we feel it in real life. You know, he's just one moment he's there and one moment he's gone. And sometimes that's the way that life and death is. Um, but the frustrating thing is that the, on the other side of the screen, it's supposed to be better than real life. So you, you hope and you dream that um, that this idyllic world on screen gives you the closure that real life never does. And I just wish that there had been a scene on the astral plane where Shuri had got to say goodbye to Chadwick and her brother. Like it would have, I would, it would have brought me to tears as soon as even, he was on screen. Even if he was just like standing there, you know, and we saw her like walk towards him or something and like he didn't have any lines or anything. And, and then it kind of just went black or something. I wish they had had the capability to film that. And I'm sure that it was something that they just could not do right. or would not do. Um, you know, in, in certain cases, like I wouldn't want to see Chadwick CGI on the screen or deep faked on the screen. I wouldn't want them right. to see anything disrespectful to his memory or himself or his family. Um, but yeah, it, it's a sad loss. Like even just thinking about it, it's so emotional. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, what are some other aspects of this movie that... What about Ironheart? What did you think of the introduction of her and kind of her arc throughout the story? Because we're going to be seeing more of her. She's going to have her own TV show coming out on Disney+. Plus. You know, like it's a, a new character. This character is supposed to be kind of taking the place of Iron Man in a sense. You know, she's a genius similarly to Iron Man. Um, and then she kind of creates a suit as well that's very resembling of Iron Man. What did you think of that? I think if I were to do my backseat directing and say what they should change, one of the things would probably be to take Ironheart out of the movie or maybe even just decrease her size of the, of her role in the movie. Cause her role in the movie felt to be of an awkward size. It felt to be in between, um, like a cameo and a full blown origin. Um, I, I feel like the introduction that Spider-Man has in civil war, um, is is much smaller. I don't know if that's fair though, because at that point we've had five Spider-Man movies, and yeah, they're different actors, different universe, and all that stuff. But everyone knows who Spider-Man is. You know, like I bet you right now, if we go out on the streets and ask, like, "Hey, do you know who Spider-Man is?" They can tell you. If we're like, "Hey, who's Iron Heart?" Be like, I have no idea. I agree, but I think the thing is that that would lend more towards her getting a solo movie or so that she well, has Andrew, she's getting a tv show isn't that just as good <laughs> no because i <laughs> definitely not i think i think that it affected I, I think it affected like we talked about the runtime of this movie and there's so much time spent on so many characters that yes the movie feels like three hours long which it is um you want it to feel like it's over quicker um because you're so enthralled in it but i think that there was a lot of time spent on Ironheart that could have been spent on Shuri, could have been spent on Okoye, um, but there's a lot of time spent on all these characters, which is, I think, part of what has gives the movie this lengthy feeling. I don't think anybody's done an injustice with their screen time, but I think it does make add to the runtime of the movie. Yeah, I typically like sequel superhero movies better than the origin because the origin's typically a lot slower, and in the sequels, we normally get to see the hero be the hero longer, right? Yeah. You get to see them in action more. Um, but the Shang-Chi origin, though. That, that was great. <laughs> I'm not saying all origins yeah. are bad, but I, that's something that I... And I'm not saying I like all sequels better. I'm just saying that that's what I look forward to in a sequel. And in this sequel, it felt very much so like an origin story. Understandable. I know why, right? Yeah. But whose origin story was it? I think is the question that's kind of baffling you a little bit because it was kind of Sherry's origin story becoming Black Panther. It was Ironheart's origin story. It was Namor's origin story. And even Okoye becoming Midnight Angel. <laughs> I even forgot about that. Like, <laughs> that's felt, that felt very out of place. Um, but yeah, there's like a lot of like introductions to all these new characters and it's like i just want to see black panther yeah <laughs> you know like even if it is sherry like it took probably two hours or so before we actually got to see her in the suit and it's like we could have sped that up a lot more right because we only got to see two fights with her in the actual suit and um again like i know fights aren't everything but i feel like fights are a big part of a superhero movie yeah you know and like we got to see her fight on the ship, which was, it was an okay fight, I guess, you know, it was, 
it felt very grand, you know, um, rather than very close and personal and like focused just on her. And then we got to see her fight Namor, which I feel like Namor maybe didn't put up as good of a fight as what he was built up to be. But he did this god. He was weakened. Yeah. Specifically for that fight, which is the only reason that he lost. Um, so I think that was kind of the fair aspect to it was that they found a weakness for him as kind of his kryptonite. They just it seemed like they found the weakness and implemented it very quickly. You know, because at that point it's like we're two hours and fifteen minutes in, we gotta speed it up here, you know, like weakness, boom, now he's weak. You know? That's kinda what it felt like, rather than like throughout maybe the let's say the second half of the movie they they found the weakness now they're figuring out how to implement it it doesn't work he's still stronger and then later on they find a way and it actually works kind of thing um, but again they had a lot of storylines that they were trying to balance in this movie yeah the first act definitely is very long like going to the college and and then breaking out I don't want to say it, but trying to save Ironheart and her getting taken so definitely adds to that that runtime but so back to Ironheart real quick before we move on um I liked her integration into the movie I liked the um actor who played her or actress who played her I think she had a very good presence on screen I wouldn't change personally change too much about that but I would change how they introduced her suits because in Iron Man we get to see these epic montages of building the suit and then even more so of him putting with on the, suit the suit reveal reveal yeah. and stuff and we just didn't really get to see that like the first uh first time we got to see her in her suit it was like just a very quick like oh she's in an iron man suit and then it like pans away you know and like even someone says like she's in an iron man suit you know like yeah. it rather than like you were talking about last night where like it would have been cool if the room was dark they bust in they don't see anything for a second because she's not in the middle of the room you know she's maybe more in the corner because she's trying to hide this thing and then we just see the lights light up you know like maybe on her chest and her eyes or something you know and it's like oh that's cool you know and then we see her arm raise up and see the blaster start to go on <laughs> hear the classic sound but we didn't get to see that it was kind of just like there she is. There she's gone. Yeah, I wish that they had... Um, I, I wish they hadn't added the line of her saying she'd been working on it for years. Because I get that she's young, but I kind of want her to be like the new... She's supposed to be the new Tony Stark. Like, um, So I, I wish they had made it like a little bit easier for her. Like Maybe she'd only been working on it for a year or she had no access to parts because... I didn't like the way the suit looked very much. Either of them, really. I thought even her improved Wakandan suit kind of looked like a Power Ranger. Um, I, I wish there was a little bit different aesthetic, whereas the rest of the movie, I think, looks visually phenomenal. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the Ironheart suits. Which isn't the final suit. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of the second one either, but more so how they introduced the second one again. Like, it was just... Suddenly she's in it. Yeah, and it's like they're, they're on the sky, and she comes in, and then she they pan to something else real quick you know like we didn't get to see like an epic introduction and like if you're introducing all these characters introduce them with like some flair you know like yeah. there's it's a two hour and 40 minute movie you have time to give each character like the spotlight of their big reveal of their actual character you know like 
something easy for this scene would have been like if she's in the ship and the the top opens so she can fly out, you know, and we see the lights light up and the blasters start and we see her fly out from a wide shot and then comes in close and we it pans and circles around her or something. Like I know we've seen similar things done in Iron Man and even my sister was like, Well that's just copy in Iron Man. And it's like, yeah, she's Iron Man's replacement. I want her to get the same <laughs> like epic introduction as he did you know yeah i mean it, the goal should be to be just to be just as epic if not more maybe even you know in your own way if you want to change it a bit yeah the but, last big fight felt rushed to me yeah i mean i i the end of the movie is probably where most of my qualms with the movie lie um so we can talk about that some more yeah. i feel like i didn't like the way that I, I was glad that she chose mercy but then they they kind of she took namor and flew over to the battle where wakanda was done for and namor just kind of said all right guys pack it up we're going home and just like verbally they were like the fight's done i got beat over there but like so yeah what was stopping him at that point of being like Kill them all! <laughs> I'm back in the water. My weakness is no longer here. I have healed. Yeah. Then what? And then he just kind of was like, "Well, they're gonna need us later." <laughs> it's like I, I, the, I get his like long game. Yes. Well, the good thing is we've com you've complained before at least on the show about Marvel always killing off their villains, and they kept Namor alive, which he can be a big, big Marvel villain if they give him the chance to right. moving forward. Yeah. We might see him link up with Doom, similar to some ways he does in the comics. So that's a good thing about the ending that I would keep keeping Namor alive in some capacity. Yes. Um, I think that the my other complaint about the end of the movie, which to me is a big one, um, is that I would... So we're going to talk about the after credit scene. So in the after credit scene, um, we see Shuri's sitting there mourning the loss of her family members, and Nakia approaches with a young boy. Before that happens, though, it does go into another like moment of silence where we see Chadwick Boseman on the screen. There was no music again, and that was very emotional, and uh, and that was like right before the movie ended, and. Uh, really felt it at that point, you know? Yeah, the flashbacks to Black Panther 1, like, yeah. through Letitia Wright's tears, like, it really cuts through you. Um, but I did not like the fact that Nakia introduces uh, Shuri to her son, uh, Prince T'Challa, which is his Wakandan name, but his Haitian name is Toussaint, which um, Shuri said that name has a powerful history, so I looked into it. Um, it's... Uh, rebellion leader in Haiti who led a rebellion against, I believe, France, who was colonizing them. Um, so it is an interesting name with an interesting history. Um, what I didn't like was his other name, <laughs> Prince T'Challa, and I didn't, I, which it seems to me a little bit forced. And I don't know, I felt like the legacy of the Black Panther and the legacy of T'Challa was living on through Shuri, so I didn't feel it was completely necessary. I also feel like it goes against what I think I know about the character of Black Panther. I think he is deeply rooted and connected in the Wakandan culture and history, and I think it would have been important to him to have his son grow up in Wakanda, such a unique, special place. There's nowhere else like it in the entire world, and to send him away, to live away from his, from his father, from his 
grandmother from his aunt and never get to meet his aunt seemed like a huge disrespect to the character for shock value for them to show us that the sun existed. It seemed like they cast aside so much and then they just kind of blanketed it with, did my mother get to meet him? Yeah, don't worry about that. Like, no, 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 don't be sad. She met him at some point. When she was here before, we just didn't show it on camera so we could surprise you later. But why would he deprive Shuri of getting to know her nephew for like the first, seems like seven years of his life? He seems, this kid was not young. He wasn't an infant. He wasn't a toddler. So like, I feel like it would be important to him to introduce his child to his sister who he loves. And it, this is all in the name of him growing up away from the pressure of being king. Like, it doesn't seem important enough. at that point, uh, T'Challa was sick. So he didn't want the kid to be raised with the pressure of being king, like, right away. Because he would have been next in line because T'Challa was already sick. I think that's kind of what they were going for. But he couldn't possibly be sick because he wasn't sick in Avengers Endgame. I don't know, man. That's but, just what they made it seem <laughs> like. Like, he didn't want to see his dad be sick, so he didn't get to know his dad. Like, was he sick and traveling back and forth to Haiti and nobody noticed? Like, there's just so many unanswered questions that I feel like don't make sense with the introduction of the child just because they wanted to add the child they could they could have made the child younger if they wanted to why is he so old like and and, uh, presumably he didn't get to know his grandmother or his aunt that well until now right and it kind of felt just like oh hey we did this whole movie paying respect to t'challa to chadwick and here's his replacement (laughs) you know like (laughs) Black Panther lives on, same name, <laughs> it's basically the same character now. Does that mean Sherry doesn't get to be Black Panther anymore? Like I'm sure she will. You know, but... like But it seemed like they just Alright, here's our T'Challa now. They might be know? marketing him for like the new Avengers or the young Avengers, like to grow up and do that. But, but... Okay, if they had a son, I see all your complaints for him having a son. But let's say like they had to, for whatever reason. You know. Okay. Don't name him the same name, you know, make him be a new character, you know, because that way it won't feel as much like it's a replacement character, you know? Yeah, I think that's a big thing too, yeah. Like Like if Ironheart was a boy named Tony Stark Jr., (laughs) like, would it have hit as hard? It'd be like like Tony didn't die because they're just replacing him with Tony Stark Jr. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so I feel like if they had to have a kid in there, just make it a different character's name. Yeah, you know, Toussaint was fine. It had yeah. a meaning behind it all its own. Exactly, you know, like just make them different. You know, it doesn't. It's it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see the Black Panther story come to fruition of how it was originally thought to uh, develop. But like, this is where we're at now. You know, like let's create new ideas. You know, especially if we've already decided that we're not recasting uh, T'Challa's position, Chadwick's. Uh, spot you know like let's just stay firm on that yeah my so my big backseat directing thing that i would add to the movie which i think maybe they went about it in a more artistic way and less obvious way than i'm thinking but at the end of the movie when she burned her brother's robes um i believe it was t'challa's uh, and you know it's, i think it's symbolic for well, it, it was it was her robes for her the funeral yeah i think it's symbolic for her coming to terms with the loss of her brother and her mother at this point in the movie so i think that it would have been more emotional if they showed that breeze right 
And earlier in the movie, they talked about how Queen Ramonda could feel the breeze on her shoulder as if it was her son's hand touching her shoulder. And I thought that was very emotional and they would come back to it in the end. I think them, her emotional reaction and the windy kind of day they had was showing maybe a touch of her feeling that connection with her family, um, hearkening back to that. This is my opinion, although it would have been more in your face. I think what they should have done is show the breeze and then just have a hand maybe reach out and touch her shoulder. Like even if it's just a man's hand insinuating that it's T'Challa and it's, it's no body is shown if they just show the hand and it's like known, you would know that it's a metaphor and that she feels her brother's hand on her shoulder in his presence. Or if it was her brother's hand on her shoulder and then her mother's hand on like her other shoulder, just feeling like her family is still there with her. Mm -hmm. That was like the emotional gut punch that I wanted for like the last second of the movie. Yeah. Um, it sounds like we have a lot of critiques and stuff about this movie. But it's in, it is an incredible movie. It's a good movie. Um, it's definitely one of the better Phase 4 movies, uh, in my opinion. I think... Shang-Chi is uh, my favorite Phase 4 movie. I think um, Eternals and Spider-Man are like tied for second for me. I know a lot of people don't have Eternals as high as I do, but I really like that movie. Mine's the Batman. Just a little bit outside the continuity, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the, so I Wrong think, universe! So this movie is really incredible filmmaking. Incredible film. You can tell when you're watching a movie that's made with people with a lot of money and a lot of artistic talent. That's it's, what I was going to say next. That like, They had an incredibly hard task making this movie. And I would not want to be in any of the creators or the directors or any of their position trying to make this movie because a lot of eyes are on this movie and a lot of uh, critical eyes yeah. are watching, you know, um, from the audience and from the actual critics. <laughs> right. So I feel I feel like they did a good job, you know, but if you take a step back and look further away from like the actual emotional aspect of the movie like going into it a movie as its whole uh that's kind of what we're critiquing yeah you know i think that this movie is fantastic fantastic in terms of directing in terms of cinematography in terms of um the costuming i think shine possible one of the brightest things that shine in this movie costuming yeah. um the sets the the, the ships look really cool yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the music the sound design and we can't forget we've already mentioned it but how good the underwater scenes really looked. look they looked so much better than aquaman yeah like when they're riding <laughs> dog and aquaman when they're riding like the different whales and stuff like it looks really cool it looks really cool it looks so much better than a shark like sitting on a shark while it's idling in place sharks can't do that yeah like they made all of these animals moving the whole time. You know, they're not like frozen in space as if this was shark tails, yeah. you know, like it, it felt like it had some sort of realism to it. And man, a killer whale by itself is scary enough, right? But to be riding one, whoo, what a power move. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, where the movie lacks to me is in the story department and in the editing department. Yes. Which are I, two things that are a big deal about a movie. But. Yeah, that's what I wanted to touch on next was the editing. Um, you kind of mentioned it at the beginning, but I feel like some of the aspects of the editing just kind of missed the mark for me. 
Um, I feel like mainly in the action scenes though. I think everything else looked great. The pacing was fine in terms of like changing angles and all that stuff. But in the actual fights, it seemed like it was very messy and very kind of blurry. Like we couldn't really see what, it was hard to follow what was going on in the, some of the fights. Even the fights that were like just hand-to-hand -hand combat. Like it, they, there was a lot of angles, a lot of cuts, and it seemed like right before every impact, they would do like a 180 camera flip, you know, and it was a tight angle and you kind of miss the impact of the punch or the hit or the, the swing of the spear. Like yeah. even the opening fight where the, the ladies are taking down the people who are trying to steal the vibranium. Like I was like, oh, that was cool. They just walked out of that dark cavern and they're starting to whip people around with their spears and stuff. But then I was like man, like, it's kind of hard to follow what's going on here. There's a lot of cuts that don't make sense. I feel like I could follow the action, but I feel like what you're talking about, I agree with. And I feel like it made the action look worse. I feel like yeah. I could still tell generally, kind of like the Dark Knight right. movies. Like, I could be like, oh, like this I, person's winning the fight, yeah, but I, I can't. I know what's happening, but I didn't get to see the impact yeah. of what was happening. Which takes away from how you, yes. how impressed you are with the fight. Yeah, so I, that, that was my problem with kind of the editing choice of like when to cut what camera angles to go at what time and stuff and if maybe that's all they had to edit then that kind of goes on to more so of like the choreography of the fights maybe that wasn't as good I don't or know. the stunts but it, the right. individuals doing the stunts but it it seemed more like it was the editing of when to do what whether that was the director or the actual editors themselves of deciding like when to cut and which cameras to go to and whatnot but it felt a little disconnected. So I think that closes out our backseat directing segment. Now I want to go into our source code. Dun, dun. So source, are you going to do a theme song for this one? Boom. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's good. so source code is a segment where we talk about the source material because we like looking at what created these characters. Uh, so. I'm, I looked into some research. I haven't read too much for the Black Panther or for Namor the Submariner, but let's talk about it. So Black Panther obviously is a character imbued with powers of the heart-shaped herb, deeply connected to the roots of Wakanda, which is this unique society. Um, the Black Panther in the comics, the mantle, we're going to be talking about Shuri uh, in the comics in this case, because that's what the movie focuses on. So in the comics, when T'Challa is in a coma, Shuri trains and goes to take up the mantle of the Black Panther. There are those who would object, but Queen Ramonda uh, tells them that um, if her brother had not taken it first, then Shuri would already be the Black Panther standing before you. So she sets off on a journey, um, sneaks between this, uh, this cave full of sleeping big cats and faces these challenges to get the heart-shaped herb. She takes the heart-shaped herb where she goes into the astral plane and she is declined the blessing of the, the, the god, Bast. Um, and when she goes back and proves that she is selfless, um, and is willing to sacrifice her life for her brother in Wakanda, then she is blessed with the powers of the Black Panther. Um, that is one of Shuri's origin stories for the Black Panther. She, there's a few alternate universes where she becomes the Black Panther, and one of them, she gains her powers from the Jalia, which is kind of this uh, 
mystical religious force that is a little bit hard to explain. She spends time in that world uh, training and becoming more wise and, and skilled. And when she comes back to the, the normal physical plane, um, she has all these enhanced abilities from the Dejalia. So there, there's a couple different options you can look at. I believe there's three or more different versions of Shuri as the Black Panther. Um, but the journey that she takes here, um, kind of being that headstrong individual and coming to terms with um, being being willing to do everything for her people and for Wakanda and protecting it. Um, it's kind of parallel to that first story I told. And then I also want to talk about Namor the Submariner because I think that he has huge implications on the future of the MCU. So in the comics, he's known as Namor the Submariner. Um, he comes from Atlantis in the comics, which I think they changed... I think part of the reason they changed to Talakan in the movies is because Aquaman already has Atlantis, is more prominently associated with it, so now they have their own Atlantis in the form of Talakan, which I think is a name that sounds really cool, more rooted in kind of the connection to that Mayan uh, ancestry of the, the people in the storyline, rather than Atlantis, which does not really have that same sound. So, uh, so Namor makes his first appearance in comics in 1938. So super no, 1939 excuse me so super early i mean superman appeared in 1938 batman appears in 1939 so he's one of the earliest villains to exist um his comic book origins he has all kinds of powers so his his origins are that he is half atlantean and he is half half mutant so mutants in the comics obviously coming from the x-men universe this is where his winged ankles come from that is his mutant ability the ability to fly from the wings on his ankles um, and then his other abilities come from basically the hybrid the marriage of these two superhuman beings um, he is invulnerable to bullets he is well, he's invulnerable in general so he can be shot by bullets his skin is super tough he can breathe underwater he can breathe on land because of that connection between the two species. He is super strong. He's able to lift entire battleships out of the ocean. Um, so we've only, we've he's depicted as incredibly strong in the movies, but he is a true supervillain in the comics and a, a, a big villain for the Avengers and for the the story of whoever's holding the mantle of the Black Panther. Um, but the big thing about him is he specifically has a line in the movie where he says, "I'm I was a mutant." So. This is yet another mention of Marvel of mutants that they've been sprinkling in throughout the MCU. My question for you, Aaron, is when do you think we're getting this X-Men movie? And what, what implications do you think that they have building up all these things mentioning mutants? Because I believe this is now the second or third time they've brought the term onto the screen. So we'll probably see the first mutants back in uh, Deadpool 3. Uh, that'll probably be the first time that we'll see them in like the actual MCU. However, I, I don't know when we'll start to see like all the main mutants again because I believe I saw somewhere that the contracts to the original actors are still in contract. So I think what's happening is Marvel's kind of waiting until those contracts end so they can recast some of those characters to bring them into the MCU. I wasn't ready for this question, so I don't know when their contracts actually end. Uh, but I would imagine it would be sometime after that is when we'll actually like get to see a full like mutants movie with X Men kind of intertwined into the MCU. Uh, I put you on the spot with that one, but but how cool is that that he said he was a mutant and he is this huge presence now as a villain? He's also interesting thing about Namor is he is one of the 
oldest mutants because he's hundreds of years old. So he is yeah. one of the original mutants. Um, then like Wolverine, Wolverine, um, and then uh, you know obviously Apocalypse going very far back, but he's one of the oldest mutants. Um, another thing I didn't touch on was the powers of the Black Panther, which we'll co- cover for our source code really quickly. The the person who takes in the heart shaped herb and takes up the mantle of the Black Panther is blessed with uh, increased superhuman speed, superhuman strength, superhuman agility, and reflexes, reaction time, their senses are heightened, where they have increased visual acuity, increased hearing, similar to that of a big cat. They can see in almost complete dark, and they can hear incredibly well. And they also obviously have the powers of the suit of absorbing kinetic energy and redistributing it back onto their opponents. Yeah, overall an awesome character. Yeah, it's a really cool character, especially when you add in the suit and all the cultural influence of the character. So we've, this, man, this is a long episode. We've been able to just like keep talking and talking and talking. Um, if you're the one person who's made it this far, thank, thank you. you. Yes. We have a lot of thoughts when a movie first we, ends. We were really like, oh, maybe this could be a short episode, you know, because like we didn't get to do as much preparation prep for this since we literally just watched it late last night. And now it's like seven in the morning the next day. So we didn't have as much prep time as what we normally have. Normally we have at least three days at the at the least you know yeah um but i have more that i would like to talk about so maybe (laughs) we can kind of do another little episode or something to kind of finish that because this the thing that i want to talk about maybe in that extra bonus episode is this is the last movie of phase four oh phase four is over now what yeah, what, did, what did phase four bring to the table? What did phase four set up for the future? What are we, what are we looking for in phase five? You know, like I there's think a lot should... of questions and stuff around that aspect of this movie happening that I didn't even realize until like halfway through the movie last night. It's like, wow, this is the end of phase four. Yeah, you know? I mean, they're setting up mutants. They're a new Black Panther. Wakanda's place in the world is changing. How does this compare to Phase One? Like, because this Phase Four is like kind of like a new Phase One. We should cover that in an episode. That's a good idea. Let's cover it. We'll call it the end of Phase Four. Yeah, for sure. Um, but to kind of wrap up this episode, I want to kind of introduce a new segment to the podcast. I want to, every once in a while, start reading some of the comments that we get on our different pages, whether it's from TikTok, Instagram, or YouTube. Um, This one today that I have is for YouTube. It's a comment that we actually got eight hours ago on our last (laughs) short. I have have a segment idea name as a draft. Okay. Uh, Commentator debate. Okay. I like it. Commentator debate. A song is going to be... Pending. I'm gonna. Yeah, I already made one up on the spot. We need to I have to make one eventually. Yes. Um, but anyways, this this comment was on our last video where we are talking about our Marvel vs DC episode that we had. Go check that out if you haven't seen it already. But in this episode, you're kind of talking about the animated movies that DC has in comparison to Marvel. And this guy. Uh, Shadid the Generator said, Marvel is behind on animation because they are making real movies that totally combined, that total combined budget spent on live action CGI is $3.8 billion. So, end quote. First of all, let so, me say, thank you for commenting on, on our we appreciate <laughs> YouTube. You. We, we like anybody who comments and interacts, we like that you commented and interacted. 
Um, no matter how wrong, dumb of a comment that was. Like, are you? Where? Oh my god! What do you think? What an idiot! I think that it's so disrespectful to say real movies towards animated movies, like that animated movies are somehow less valuable than real movies there are people sitting in animation studios pouring their heart and soul and and this and so much effort and work into this movie for you to just dismiss it as not real because it's a different style of movie like you can't just dismiss a movie because it's a documentary or because it's animated or because it's a comedy like there's these are just categories animated movies tell some of the best most rich true to comic true to source material emotional stories i've ever seen i love animated movies it's hurtful to like there's things that you can do in animated movies that you can't do physically in can't. live action movies no matter how good the cgi is like in an animated uh black panther wakanda forever they probably could have had t'challa show up and not say any words kind of in the afterlife planes you know and it would have been very respectful Doing that with CGI in a live action movie isn't. This is one of this is one of the hardest choices that anyone could give me as a question. So I'll see what your answer is. Would you rather give up all animated content or all live action content? Because I feel like I know what your answer would be, but I would have such a hard time with this question. If I absolutely have to pick, yes. I would go with giving up animated. Only because I've seen way more live action movies kind of growing up. Yeah. So there's more kind of nostalgia attached to those movies for me. However, lately I've been watching a ton more of animated stuff. I just watched uh, The Long Halloween Part 1 and 2. I just watched uh, The Shazam vs. Superman. Yes. Um, I watched, I just started watching the Batman animated series. Um, Invincible last year, What If, Arcane, uh, Arcane. So like I've been watching a lot more animated stuff recently, and it's so good. Yeah, I I think it's so reductive and prejudicial to just discount something based on a category like that. Like animated movies, like Grave of the Fireflies, like the there's just so. Um, this guy's into the Spider Verse. This like, guy's clearly a fan of superhero movies, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, he's commenting on our page, which is um, superhero. We, we talk heavily. about superheroes <laughs> a lot. We do other movies reviews and stuff too, but superheroes is a big part of kind of who we are and what we like to talk about. And he knows enough about Marvel movies to know the budget of what their CGI and all that stuff is. So he's basically saying like. Hey, comic books aren't real books. Like just because, yeah, because because it's different than yeah. the traditional book. You know, like m- live action movies are more mainstream. Books are more mainstream than comic books. So it's like he's saying comic books aren't real. They don't tell good stories. This, see, which this is, is stupid. This is something I feel very strongly about because there are. I think there are animated movies. That should be like nominated for best picture, but instead animated movies get their own category. People treat animated movies like lesser or just because they're a different style of film, but they they tell really incredible emotional stories. And just because it's animated does not mean it's for kids. And just because it's targeted for kids doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. <laughs> like if I if I were to give up animated content, I'd be giving up all anime. I'd be giving up 
so many of like the greatest, most incredible movies. Yes, I agree. Um, let's kind of end on a positive note. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for commenting again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, this next week we have some exciting podcasts coming out. Um, we have an Avatar The Last Airbender episode coming out. And then we are also having an episode come out on um, Thursday about Law Abiding Citizen, which is not a superhero movie. Both of those were a lot of fun to talk about. I'm excited for everyone to listen. Um, and we've got some other stuff kind of in our sleeve. Uh, one of those plans being next week, we're kicking off our very first giveaway and we're looking into making t-shirts as well yeah so we were again we're in our new studio this is our first episode with our new lights and maybe it looks terrible because we're still figuring things out but maybe it looks a little better than what it used to and we're we're, we're continuously progressing and that's exciting we appreciate everyone who listens to us talk about silly things yeah every view and every like and subscription kind of just it adds fuel to the flames for us and gives us more and more reason to move forward with something we're passionate about. So thank you so much to anybody who gives us that kind of support. It gives us any amount of your time. It's very valuable to us and it inspires me to, to want to just do a better job. Put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's, it's a lot of fun paying homage to all these entertainment avenues that we love so much. Absolutely. Well said. So, Thank you everyone for listening and that's, that's a wrap. wrap.